Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. This is Mike. Welcome back for the latest in scale modeling from the Bluegrass State. The autumn season is settling in on us here in Kentucky, so hopefully that will afford Dave and I some increased time at the bench. Before we get started, I would like to remind everyone of the Golden Sprue Awards. By the time this episode drops, the September 25th ending of the nomination period will have happened. The next phase is the actual voting of the top nominees, and this will take place from October 3rd until October 31st. So please jump on the Golden Sprue Awards website during the October window and vote for your favorite submissions. Now let's get on to episode 21 of Plastic Model Mojo. Good evening, Mike. Oh, good evening, Dave. How you doing this evening? I'm not doing too bad. I'm at the bench. I've got some modeling fluid in hand, and you know that's not bad way to that's not a bad way to live life. So, uh, what modeling fluid are you drinking? Well, I hate to disappoint, but tonight I'm not. Oh, <laughs> <gasps> uh, uh, we've been canceled, and nobody told me. Oh, <laughs> uh, something like that. Um, no, we went out. I'll explain. We went out for a kind of a, a last summer ice cream, and I got a milkshake, Texas size milkshake. <laughs> and uh, I'm not well, sure what, I've got. I'm not sure I've got room for anything else. What flavor? Uh, just a chocolate milkshake. Oh, can't okay. go wrong. Okay. But uh, I should have downsized a couple. I, I was <laughs> a little over, overzealous on my milkshake consumption. So now that I've bored everybody with my milkshake. Uh, <laughs> What do you got going on? Well, uh, I'm doing a, f- a first, uh, this, <clears throat> I think this is the first time I've ever repeated a modeling fluid. Uh, we're 21 episodes in and, uh, I'm actually, no. you've doubled up on, you've doubled up on gumball head. Well, that's, <laughs> have I? Cause that's <laughs> yeah, what, it, so. that's what I'm drinking. Uh, I'm drinking nice. Gumball Head from Three Floyds. Um, uh, it's as good as it always is. Uh, you turned me on to it the first episode we recorded together, and uh, I got to tell you, it's become a it's become a favorite. I enjoy the heck out of it. It's a uh, a really good beer. I, I recommend it to any of the listeners out there. Well, on the uh, Three Floyds vein, I've still not heard back from them yet about that box art for their uh, Barbarian Haze we IPA. May, we may have to make a phone call on that one because I, I really, I would really like to find out what what the what the story is on that. Well, I'll tell you, we got a pretty full mailbag. All right, L- lots of stuff. Well, go ahead. Let's hear it. Stephen Schaefer. Uh, he's from the Twin Cities area in Minneapolis, or Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Uh, he sent us some photographs, and I think the guys that are on the bench talked about this too, so he must have sent them the same pictures, but some really stunning pictures of a Zukimura 48-scale F4J Phantom. It's a beautiful kit. It's, he done a, he's done a heck of a job too. Um, in addition to that, he just wanted to say that uh, – He's missed out on his fourth annual Wonderfest, so apparently he makes it down to Wonderfest every year. So, Stephen, 
next time, next year, maybe 2021, if they have it in May. God hope we get back into something by then. Absolutely. But anyway, if uh, if if you're there in, in uh, 2021, we may we may be there too. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to do that show, hang out and, and check it out. It's a it, they're a great bunch of guys. There's some really nice models, and there's really neat stuff at it. So yeah, I would. There there's no excuse for us not to not to attend that show and try and do a little recording if we can. Uh, Kip Jackson's back again, and he's talking about uh, forums. And he mentioned, well, he asked you, actually, if uh, you're familiar with the ARC or the ARC forums. Mm -hmm. Of course you are. And he he talks about how desperately specific some of the subforums are on that one. But that's one of the older ones, isn't it? That's been around a while. Yes, ARC was was one of the forums back when there weren't many forums. There's hyperscale ARC uh, then Brit Modeler, and then uh, uh, I forget the one for Armor. But uh, yeah, back when there were a few, in fact, that's what I, uh, in our email exchange with him, uh, what I said was I, I, of course, had been on ARC and was on it for years. But like a lot of the big multi, you know, the big generalist forums, the problem was that, you know, I have certain interests, 72nd scale. Um, and uh, so it was it was tough for me to go to ARC and weed through all of the new posts to find the ones I was interested in. So ultimately, uh, 72nd scale aircraft forum was was. Uh, set up and because that's my area of interest that's pretty much where I hang out as far as forums go Um, I mean I'll occasionally go back and look at ARC or I'll go and I'll look at uh, at, uh, Brit Modeler or the unofficial Airfix Modeling Forum and you know it's a nice for an occasional visit but I don't hang out there anymore just simply because my needs are being met by more specialized forums and he also goes on to express some appreciation for Prime Portal and Scalemates that we've we've mentioned numerous times. So Yeah, absolutely. Glad that's working out for him. Uh John Rovnan just mentions another podcast, the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Real pilots talking about a different modern aircraft every episode. So if that's your bag, you might want to check that out if you're into mo- modern aviation. I will have to check that out. That sounds cool. Next up is uh, Ed Olszewski, and this is an interesting one. He's a a model railroader who subscribed to FSM, Fine Scale Modeler, to improve his freight car and locomotive weathering. And just by perusing the various articles in that magazine as his subscriptions progressed, he's got bitten by the scale model bug and (laughs) has queued up a bunch of subjects across a wide range of scales and genre, uh, just really all over the map. And... He says he's enjoying the podcast, and he blames us for sparking his interest in stash growth. But uh, he's standard, standardized on Vallejo line of paints and weathering products and going with Mr. Surfacer 1000 and Mr. Leveling Thinner as a primer. So welcome aboard, Ed. Absolutely. Got a new pet peeve. Oh, <laughs> I love pet peeves. Uh, this is also a regular listener and contributor, uh, Andrew DeBoer. 
Mm-hmm. And his pet peeve, his pet peeve is the perennial question on forums and Facebook posts pages. Will this paint work with this thinner? <laughs> I, I sympathize because you do see that all the time. But then again, there are such a proliferation of paints and thinner lines. I can understand the confusion. I really can. Back when there was Model Master and Model Master Acrylic, you know, two lines, two thinners, that was 90% of what was out there. But now, it's, we've talked about it before, it seems like not a week goes by when a new new paint line comes out. And, you know, I, I, that many paint lines can lead to confusion. Well, it's worse than that because his solution is just to mix it up and see what happens because on the forum, you're going to get everything from, Oh, that'll never work. It'll be a disaster to, I do that all the time and it works great. Well, there, there, there is nothing, there is nothing like experimentation yourself, but there are a couple of the downsides is you've got to, you know, you've got to acquire both the paint and the thinner and you don't want to waste your money if this thinner doesn't go with that paint or whatever. And also, not all of the reactions between paints and thinners are immediate. No, I that's mean, true. You could you could mix two things together and spray it and think, okay, well, this is working. And then an hour later or six hours later, come back to find that the two are not compatible. That's why I use paint mules. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, next up is uh, Timothy... Gidcom from uh, Kingwood, Texas, and had one from Texas in a while. Yeehaw. He was commenting on on my mention of those Tamiya scribing templates and those new engraving tools, and apparently he has some. Mm-hmm. And he sugge- he says that they feel nice in your hand, and because of the size of the tool, you can get into areas that a lot of other scribers won't. Several sizes to choose from, or you can buy them all. He's got a big smiley face after that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He concurs that they are expensive compared to some of the other tools on the market. And his opinion is some of the smaller sizes don't leave a clean a cut as some of the bigger ones. Now, moving on to the templates, says you can't go wrong with those. The options of all the circles, squares, and ovals gives a wide range of possibilities. And they're really flexible, but quite durable. And finally, uh, he says, if we haven't seen it, Flory, Flory Models out of the UK YouTube channel uh, did an in-depth review on on those a couple of years ago, and he provided me a link. So, man, I'm late to the show, apparently, mm-hmm. which is interesting because those full full page ads in FSM and the in the journal are just recent. Yeah, read as new. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if what they reviewed is indeed what's being released now. So. Or maybe they've changed it or expanded it. I don't know. Exactly. I'll I'll have to check out that link and I will put it in the show notes so everybody else can too. Sounds good. Drew Oliver again. He offers some supporting words for our podcast. We appreciate that. Yep. (laughs) And uh, he's asking if we've also looked at the uh, MRP or the Mr. Paint Scribers. They're also cheaper than the Tamiya ones. (laughs) It would it would hard not it would hard be hard for anything to be more expensive than the Tamiya scribers. 
I think so. But uh, this all warrants further investigation. So, uh, Drew, I'll I'll check those out as well because I'm in the market for some, none, or all. Uh, and finally, we got a lot of email about this death of the hobby segment from episode 20. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to take these and any more that come in over the next week or two and do a, a bonus episode, uh, kind of just about the feedback from that topic without all the other segments, maybe and, that sounds uh, offer good. that as offer that as a special segment. So just to know, we got your email. Uh, we've got, uh, in addition to all the folks we just mentioned, writing in for other topics. We've got uh, Ethan Idenmill, Jeff Betcher, Brian Latour, Adam Leland, Kevin Kelly, Stephen Lee, and Ian McCauley. So that's a bunch. Yes. It's like seven just on this topic alone or some related tangent that we mentioned in that discussion. So we'll get that worked up and uh, look forward to putting out a, a special bonus episode just on the death of the hobby or the not death of the hobby. That's all the mailbag. All right. All right. Well, listeners, here's that time that you all, I'm sure, fast forward through where I make the pitch for you to, when you're done with this episode, go to whatever podcasting app you use, rate the podcast, please give it five stars to help drive it, make it more visible. We've increased listenership in the last few episodes substantially. So I know you're, you're, some of you are out there doing good work promoting it uh, and rating the, the podcast on a podcast app is part of that. So if you do it, we'd appreciate it. Also, tell a friend. The, the, the single best way for us to get new listeners is for somebody who's currently listening to tell one of their modeling buddies, hey, you, 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 wanna, you need to listen to this or you should listen to this. Um, you know, and uh, some of your friends may not know what a podcast is, so you may have to help them out a little, but we'd appreciate it if you do that. And finally, if you are not a member of your IPMS national organization, that's IPMS USA, for all our listeners in the United States, or IPMS Canada for our Canadian listeners, or whatever nation you happen to be in, there is a national organization for IPMS. And I would take it as a personal favor if you join, because IPMS is a great organization it helps promote the hobby. It helps connect hobbyists with each other. It provides a structure and framework for all of these local chapters to meet and be insured and to be able to put on contests without stepping all over each other's dates. Uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't realize that IPMS USA or whatever IPMS national chapter you happen to be affiliated with does for the hobby. So please consider going to, in the case of the United States, www.ipmsusa.org, O-R-G, not .com, .org, and, and join. We'd also like you guys to support our fellow podcasters out there. Scale Model Podcast out of Canada is up to episode 54. And for somebody that just stepped aside for a little while, episode 54 is an Anthony Goodman spectacular. So he makes uh, several appearances in that episode. Uh, but of note in that episode is they have part one 
of a very interesting interview. It's it's uh, I, I, her name escapes me, but it's a, it's a young lady who is a model maker in the film and special effects industry, and that's that's a line of work we've all dreamed about at some point in our modeling journey. And if yep. you haven't, you're pro- you're probably lying to yourself. Uh, <laughs> we, we've all wondered what that might be like, but please check that out. On the bench, out of Australia, is up to episode ninety three. And they're talking about the small details and how to improve those and what to do about certain situations. So check those guys out. And Plastic Posse Podcast is up to their third episode. And they're talking to Cameron Corliss, who was one of our mailbag contributors last week. He has a YouTube channel, Wasatch Modeler, and he talks a little bit about that. So please check out those podcasts in addition to ours. We really appreciate it. And they will too. Well, it's countdown to Vegas again. Gosh, I can't wait. And I did not compute the number of days. Shame on me. <laughs> you can go back and fix that in post-production. Well, maybe not. It's hard to get the sound to balance. Uh, <laughs> r- regardless, there's uh, there's not much new to report at the moment. We're kind of uh, in a holding pattern as, we inch, as they inch closer to the Orlando attendance record. That's about the only thing uh, of note. They're, they're getting a little closer to that. Vendor tables are still selling at a solid clip. We've got our table submission in and paid for, so hopefully that works out for us. And finally, I, I watched The Hangover this weekend, so uh, I'm I'm ready for trip to Vegas. You're ready for Vegas. Okay, we are not doing anything that's in that movie. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I do I do not need a longer police record. Changing subjects. What's uh, what's your bench top look like? Uh, I've been plucking away at the Morris tractor still, uh, no bigger than that thing is. You'd think I'd be done by now, but, uh, uh, I've been working on the, on the wheels and I'm about ready to add those to the model. I've been using, uh, Adam Wilder's, uh, Aqualine product on those wheels, kind of playing around with that because I, I bought some of those, uh, back in the spring and I've never used them before. I figured this is a good opportunity to try them out. And what's your impression of them generally? Uh, you know, for me, just learning, it's it's a lot different than a than a solvent-based product. These are a water-based, I don't know if they're a gouache or a watercolor. The surface tension for the stuff is a lot higher than a solvent-based product, of course. Mm-hmm. And you got to kind of work it into the surface because it, 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 it might try to beat up on you because you're trying to put it down over some other product. Right. Uh, but... Once it's on there and you get it spread and it dries, you can go back at any time with a damp brush and just start taking off what you don't want. Yeah, I've seen that in the night shift videos. That's the the thing that he touts the most about it. Now, this this dry earth color I'm using is a, a very pale gray, grayish brown, and I, I really like it. And it's finally, I tell you, it's giving me the, the tire tread kind of dusty down in the grooves and nooks and crannies of the tire tread that I've kind of always been chasing. Uh, I like it cause it doesn't run everywhere because the surface tension's higher. I feel like there's some pretty good control over it. I tell you the the odd thing about this stuff, they've got this stuff loaded up with vanilla scent <laughs> and it smells like a, like a Starbucks sugar bomb. Really? Yeah. And it is not a recommendation folks. Trust me. But the stuff looks and smells like it would be divine. Really? That'd probably be a big mistake. It'd probably be more like be more like a colonoscopy prep or something. 
But it's interesting that it's so heavily scented with vanilla and, and sweet. I wonder if they're using that to mask an unpleasant odor or if for some reason vanilla is part of the actual product base or I I, th- I think I heard somewhere it was just so you'd finally have a pleasant smell at your workbench. Hey, works for me. Uh yeah, I don't I bet this stuff doesn't really have a scent without anything in it because it's a, a water-based product. Sure. I'm going to keep playing with it. I'm about done with the wheels. I'll get those glued on, and then well, I got to do wheels. Do I've got wheels to do for the Bofors gun as well, but uh, not quite ready to do that. I don't know yet. Verdict's still out. I you, I showed it on the Facebook page, and some people asked what I thought. Uh, I'm going to try to get my thoughts collected up and write a little blurb about it. Hopefully this weekend. Cool. I like the way it came out, so I guess that's that's one plus. Other than that, I haven't done a whole lot. I haven't got anything done. On the aircraft I'm working on, I've got nothing done on the anti-tank gun. And I need to finish something because I'm really itching to start something kind of <laughs> big, big and complex. Uh-oh. So that's my update. Not a lot. What do you got going on? Did you, get any, did you make more negative progress? I'm happy to tell the, the listeners that after a couple of weeks of negative progress in my little disaster regarding the the resin wheels for the M30, I finally am back making positive progress. I got the wheels stripped. I got them cleaned off with 91% al- uh, alcohol, which worked really well to strip off the, the paint that wasn't adhering well. Went back cleaned the whole thing with the with the alcohol to try and get rid of whatever silicone remnant or whatever it was from the mold that was keeping the paint from sticking to the wheels. Got that done. I used the uh, AK Real Colors uh, thinned with Unicorn Tears to uh, respray both the, the gray wheel tire color and then uh, the uh, Russian green color for the for the hubs it came out beautifully the paint is sticking well amazingly enough that really did seem to re-energize my mojo so i i went from that to getting back to work on the actual gun i am at the point of just about to marry the gun shield to the body of the gun itself and uh, it's it's looking good. I like it. Uh, it. It's amazing when when you're making progress modeling and you're liking the way it's developing, how that fires you up to continue forward. So my benchtop's looking good, and I'm hoping to have something that actually looks like an, a fully or nearly fully assembled artillery piece soon, and then. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch all of Uncle Night Shift's videos because I'll have to paint and weather and chip and distress. And and part of the reason for me doing this gun is to try some of those things that I've never tried before because I, I haven't built in this arena much at all. So uh, good news to report. On, on the topic of that model you're working on, you were grousing on the... Facebook page last night or the night before about uh, some missing parts. How did that play out? Well, it, it wasn't missing parts so much. First of all, let me go back and say, well, I can't say obscene words. We'll get this podcast graded. Trumpeter's instructions are less than ideal. They are 
severely suboptimal. They fracking suck. <laughs> and believe me, when I this whole thing's done, I am going to write a detailed review calling out Trumpeter for all of the all of their instruction problems. But the I, w- I was working last night and Trumpeter called out placing some small rivet-like or hex bolt-like parts, but they didn't have a sprue number or anything to tell you where to find them on the sprues that they give you. And I'm like, are they trying to tell me that they want me to make these or, or what's going on? And I actually posted a photo of the, of the uh, instructions Put a, put a post on our Facebook page, said, you know, help me out here. What am I missing? Does anybody know? And a number of listeners chimed in to, uh, to help and to, to make suggestions. And one of our listeners, John Colasante, uh, got it right. He, he was able to tell me that here's what Trumpeter does when they do that is on the sprue runner the, itself they will mold little little rivets or hex bolts or whatever and then but they're not marked as part numbers and and they're not really obvious unless you're looking for them to then you cut off and glue on the model so uh john even though he he built other trumpeter kits where he had run into this and apparently that's how he knew but uh he saved me some major frustration. So, John, if you're listening, thank you very much. I appreciate everybody who responded to that particular post. So that's uh, that's pretty much what's uh, been happening on my bench top. Uh, so, Mike, uh, have you been looking at the kit and tool and accessory releases? What's uh, got you interested? What's got you amazed? What's got you stunned? Well, I'm always looking. Well, if you've got a few, we'll go back and forth. Okay. You first. My first one is, uh, I don't know if it's Rice or Rich Rich Models, one of the smaller yeah. Hong Kong Chinese makers. They have also announced a French FCM 36 light tank. I saw that. And it's interesting. Well, it's interesting on one account because I saw that, was, I saw that on the modeling news. And then I jumped over to Armorama and they just today listed the ICM kit, which is, was announced like, uh, what, two months ago or more. Yeah. But anyway, back to our last segment on the dying hobby, it looks like we now may have a choice of two FCM 36 light tanks in plastic. (laughs) Did you ever think you would see such a thing? I'd hope for one and everything else was resin. Yeah. That that was one of those you thought would be resin forever only, right? Right. But now we get two. Fantastic. Speaking of two, I, I mentioned on a previous episode that Wolfpack Models had announced an F5E. Well, then Dream Model also announced and then came out with an F5E kit. Um. So we got two F5, two brand new mold F5Es. The Dream Model one that's been released uh, has some been some criticism of it. One, it's not particularly cheap when you consider you're getting a 72nd scale jet fighter. 
Two, they didn't provide, the way they did the kit doesn't provide you an ability to build all of the various options. Um, But we just got news within the last week with Wolfpack telling us that in their F5e, which is going to be apparently about half the price of the Dream Model Kit, that they're going to give us both noses for the F5. They're going to give us both leading edge extension uh, uh, shapes for the F5e. Uh, And it's also, just like the Dream Model Kit, it's being molded such that they will be able to later come out with the two-seat F5F. So... Uh, the Wolfpack one is looking like it's uh, it's going to give us all of the options that we wanted and that some people were complaining were going to be lacking in the Dream Model Kit. So that's good news. How about your next? Sticking with the theme of twos, did you see that uh, TACOM relief release of uh, Mark III Chieftain in 72nd scale? Yes, I did. You know, that's a, that's a fairly large tank and it's yep. pretty decent size. It's a handful based on the photographs in the article on the modeling news yep. uh, in 72nd scale looks really sharp and yep. it's a, it's a two for one plus one kit. So you actually right. get two of them in the box. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's something I would buy, but that's the, the quality of their 72nd scale stuff and some of the other 72nd scale armor military vehicles is really really raising the bar and that, that kit looks really, really sharp. It's got a really interesting jig in it to, to get the, the Lincoln length track squared away before you actually put them on the wheels. Yeah. Uh, some, there's some interesting photo etch for the engine deck looks like, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I will get it. Good. Well, t- I'm telling you 72nd scale. I've got you building the aircraft, the float planes, catapults. It's not a big reach to get you to build 72nd scale armor. And I agree with you. TACOM's stuff is, very impressive in 72nd scale. I've got, I built the special hobby V2, which was nice, uh, a very nice kit. Um, nothing wrong with it at all. And then TACOM released a V2 and I bought it. I haven't built it yet, but uh, having examined it closely, it is really, really nice. Their, their, their quality of their molding and their detail is, is, Fantastic. Got another one? I do indeed. My next one is is not exactly a yawn, but it's it was excitement that turned into not disappointment, but I the other day saw uh a ad for the uh Tamiya F thirty five B, the the vertical takeoff and landing version of the F-35 in 72nd scale. And I was thinking, oh, great, a new Tamiya kit. And only when you looked closely did you realize what this was. It's the Itulari F-35B that's being uh, marketed in Japan and reboxed and sold into uh, by Tamiya because Tamiya and Itulari actually have a arrangement where Itulari kits are resold and rebranded 
and sold under the Tamiya boxing. Now, I will give them credit. What Tamiya does, this is not stealth. What Tamiya does is they actually put not only their own logo and branding, but they also put the Italeri logo on the box top. So you can quickly figure out that, no, this is not a brand new Tamiya kit. This is actually an Italeri, uh, a rebox of the Italeri kit. So, you know, no criticism from them. And the Italeri kit, while wouldn't be my first choice, is not a bad kit. It's just I was a little disappointed because I got a little bit excited when I saw to me, a brand new kit, F35B, and I uh, I got excited, as you would for any new to me, a 72nd scale release, and then a little bit of disappointment set in. So not their fault, more really my fault, but still a little bit of disappointment, a little bit of disappointment, even if it was self-inflicted. Well, I've, I got a little bit of the same thing in my, my next two here, actually. I don't know how many you've got. but I uh, got one more. Okay, well, I'll close up with my second one. But but this one, there's been lots of Hobby Boss and Trumpeter uh, wayward subject selection over the last several months, and that's Mike Baskett's opinion only. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure some people revel at the latest Russian truck or Israeli obscure APC or whatever. That's all fine. Uh, right. But they're due for something World War II vintage, I think, that's – just I don't know. They're due for something good. They they need to go. They need to go. Carol King on it. Carol King. I want to feel the earth move under my feet. <laughs> the BT five. That that would there do it. Go. A BT five. That would get it. Well, uh, I like the way you put that. Uh, <laughs> well, my last one is again keeping with the theme of twos. There is a a. A trainer called a uh, SIAI Marchetti SF260. And it's a trainer, and it's also used as a light attack aircraft. Um, you, the Italians used them as their trainer, and then uh, they were sold uh, all over, uh, both uh, the uh, some civilian uses. Uh, um, in fact, here in the U.S., there's a company that will let you fly air combat against another one of these airplanes with the, you know, and they've got uh, video and HUD sites and everything, and you engage in actual air combat flying with a licensed pilot. Uh, so these things are in civilian use as well. Well, we didn't have any kits of the SF-260 for a long time. And then within the last week, we got Special Hobby announcing they were doing an SF-260. And then KP comes out with four different boxings of the of their kit of the SF-260. So we went from zero to two kits overnight. So... It was uh, a, a, an embarrassment of riches. And that while it might not be my first choice as a, my next model to build, uh, it's nice that the, that the demand is out there for, for kits like this. So I can't say I'm anything but happy. Well, my, my big yawn is Italeri has announced 
their Simavente M42, the 75-millimeter self-propelled gun. Yep. I think this is the old bait-and-switch, maybe. How so? They tout this as new tool. And I tell you, they mentioned this on on the bench, and I think Julian smelled a rat, but he couldn't put his finger on it. But I'll tell you what it is because I, I looked at the I looked at the sprue shots. Um, they're they're saying it's new tool, but the lower hull pan is a new tool and a new design. The original Italeri Simavente had a bathtub hull that was f- just full of ejector pin marks on the f- hull floor. It's kind of semi interior kit, not really complete, but the transmissions there and the gun breach and all that. The balance of the kit looks like possibly new tooled molds, but to the old design because the parts layout is identical. The figures are identical. Everything about the entire kit, except for the lower hull, appears to be rehash. Hmm. So we'll have to wait and see, but that's a classic old kit and it's really not too terrible, I don't think. Well, there's right. some accuracy issues because somebody did a big resin upgrade for it, one of the Italian resin makers, um, to, to fix a lot of that. But it's I'm skeptical that it's a completely new tool. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, we'll have to see. Well, moving on, our special segment tonight is uh, a little bit of discussion about T-34s and a couple of the uh, Facebook groups. Let's get on into that discussion. Well, listeners, tonight we've got another interview and discussion for you. We have Mr. Stephen Reed joining us tonight, and Steve's an ex-Navy guy who happens to be an armor modeler. More importantly for the topic of tonight's discussion, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the T-34 interest groups that are on Facebook and then maybe uh, get out into a little of the the modeling-specific stuff on top of that. So uh, welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, Stephen. Thank you, Mike. Just so we can level set our listeners, would you mind uh, giving any background you're comfortable with? Oh, sure. Age, profession, geography, all all that kind of stuff. I'm 54 years old. I've been modeling since I was seven years old. I live in southeast Georgia. And for, as my profession, I'm an instructor for the control room operators in an electric generating station. What's your What's your modeling history like? Um, I started modeling when I was about seven years old. My mom and dad are from England, and uh, we lived in Scotland for a period of time. And all the kids in the neighborhood were building models, and my brother and I got into it. And uh, as he got older, he lost interest in it, but I never really did. I just stayed with it, so... I think of it as the addiction that does me nothing but good. So I think we'd agree with that. Absolutely. So did you start with Airfix kits? Yep. My first uh, model was a 172nd scale Airfix Bolt and Paul Defiant. Oh, nice model. This was in like 1973, 74. And Britain was still all about reliving the war years. So kids comics we didn't have superheroes we had basically comic books that had the heroes were spitfire pilots and british soldiers in burma and british tank operators and you know that was where it was at and all all the kids were into the battle of britain and airfix 172nd scaled spitfires and 109s that was what it was all about every kid i knew had a bunch of aircraft thumbtacked to the ceiling of their room hanging from fishing line so I got into that, but uh, I built a lot of the 172nd scale aircraft, and then uh, I built a 176th scale Airfix Churchill. And then following that, I moved back to the United States and discovered monogram and Shep Payne's how to build diorama pamphlets. And after that, I just never looked back. It was 135th scale armor. And I think the first the first kit I ever built was a 135th scale armor kit. It was a Bedford. 
it was a Peerless Max Bedford QL Portee, and that thing was a nightmare. But I was about maybe 11, and I rattle can sprayed it with something from the hardware store, so it wasn't a thing of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. Yeah, but then uh, I think I built a Tamiya quad flackerling, and then my father introduced me to model clubs because he worked with somebody who was involved in an IPMS club, and it just you know took off from there. But uh, took a little hiatus like we all do when I was in high school and working and trying to get my career going. And then I got, uh, when I was doing a lot of Navy deployments, I started to you know bring along the X-Acto knife and some styrene and try to at least scrape the parts out to sea. And it was good, you know, got back into it. I, I actually had a funny story. I got met my wife. We were dating for about a year. We got married. We moved into a two-bedroom apartment, and she said, what do you want to do with the second bedroom? And I said, well, that'll be the tank room. And she said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I hadn't, I hadn't even told her I was into modeling, but uh, she sure, we've been married for 30 years last year, and uh, she's sure into it now. I, she was on the phone with her sister one time and said, my husband plays with toys. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. Yep. I think so. And then uh, when I had just gotten out of the Navy, so about 19, mid-90s, mid-1990s, I lived in uh, Syracuse, New York area. And I had a couple of uh, friends from the neighborhood that worked at Lockheed Martin. And one thing led to another. I ended up building models for Lockheed as a sideline for a while. And then I never really talked about it because I knew what I was building was, you know, 10 years away from entering service if it was going to at all. And uh, then I heard my wife on the phone with her sister again, and she's saying, well, he's got quite a talent there. And, you know, if he can make some money off of it, I say more power to him. So it was amazing how just the addition of some money shifted the whole thing from toys to brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned model clubs. Do you have any current involvement? Yes. Having moved around quite a bit, I still keep in touch with the Amps Nordland guys up in Massachusetts. I was a Wildcats Amps member in Columbia, South Carolina. I still keep in touch with those people. All great people in both clubs. And uh, I got moved down to South Georgia, and I'm near Fort Stewart, the, the Army base. And there is there is no Amps club here, but I've, I'm interested in starting one. And I've got, I'm in contact with five or six guys that build models, but the COVID came along right about the same time. So we haven't gotten together, but uh, the chapter is a registered chapter of AMPS. The only thing we don't have is members. Gotcha. But we're trying to roll it out. I, I go to as many AMPS shows a year as I can. Well, we've not been in a while, but we, Dave and I used to be, used to be regulars. Uh, oh yeah. Up until about 2003, I think. Yeah. It's been a while now, but. Uh, I really like the AMPS. I really like the AMP system because the judging is so detailed. So much effort goes into it. And you really kind of feel like you put your model in there, you're going to get a realistic assessment of how good it is. It's more like standing up next to a yardstick than other judging systems, I think. So now, did you go to AMPS when it was up in Maryland? Oh, yeah. I went. Yeah. I think the first time I went was probably 1993 or 94. Yeah, well, then we probably ran into, we're, we're there at the same time and didn't realize it. Do you remember when Bob Kalignan won best of best of best of best and everything they said he ate the whole cherry pie that was the year <laughs> my first year there and uh it was a, it was a good time it's always a good time nice very nice people in that organization and it's real fun 
I got yeah. Um, I was I was in an IPMS club in Tidewater, Virginia, when I was in the Navy. And uh, one of the guys there, his name is Joe Koenig. He was a good friend of mine, still is. And uh, he taught me how to airbrush. I was so frustrated with how my painting didn't look like everybody else's. And I owned an airbrush, but I didn't know how to operate it. And I just said to him, I'm either going to learn how to airbrush or quit. And he said, I'll be right over. You know, it was just, <laughs> just run it. I just have been very fortunate to run into a lot of generous people over many years. Well, let's let's get on topic here, which is the T thirty four interest group on Facebook, and then the uh, the companion page or group, uh, the T thirty four scale modeling group. Uh, how did you be, how did you become involved uh, with those two Facebook groups? Well, seven or eight years ago, there was a group called Model Armor that Vinnie Brannigan ran. It was a forum, and I started uh, doing build blogs on there, and there were a lot of great guys in the, involved in that too, but. I started to gravitate toward the T-34s and I would finish one, build another. And there were a lot of people kind of chiming in on that um, and telling me, you know, when I was making a wrong turn, I mean, nobody likes somebody to chime in and say, oh, by the way, you know, that hatch handle is facing the wrong direction after your model's all painted and weathered. So as soon as I got involved in a blog like that, I started to appreciate that people would say, hey, I really don't mean to burst your bubble, but that's on backwards, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I was able to get instant feedback, correct the errors and move on. And being what I do for a living, I'm very comfortable being told when I'm wrong. It was seemed like uh, the more people were kind of open to feedback, the better it got. And then uh, Model Armor dissolved, but uh, I had met a few people through that. And one of them was uh, Tim Roberts, who you guys are familiar with the uh, Prime Portal Yes. All the T-34 stuff on there, seemingly, uh, Tim Tim provided a lot of it, Tim Roberts. And I was talking to him at one point, and I said, it would be great to have some man. I was talking to him through Facebook, and I said, it'd be great to have some way to communicate strictly about T-34s, just like, a, you know, we were just kicking the idea around, and then Tim took it and did all of it. You know, it is definitely, Tim founded the thing. He created the group. He decided to call it the T-34 interest group. And, and I was, I think if I wasn't the second person to join it, I was certainly the top in the first five and it just has collected. It's succeeded beyond what anybody imagined. I think I remember thinking that while we've got 300 members, this is terrific. Who knew people, 300 people cared about T-34s, but now it's been going for seven years and it's got more than 5,000 members. And if you guys have been to it, you know, that basically the cornerstone of the of the group is that it is run like a tight ship. There's not a lot of you know BS. <laughs> I I was on a uh, let me just give you an example. I was on a web. I was on Facebook today. Some gentleman posted two different KV one kits, not on the T thirty four group, but another. And he said, "Which one of these should I build? Just a guy getting into modeling. Which one should I do first? And somebody said, "Do the KV." They're both KVs. So it was just somebody thinking they were funnier than they really were. And, you know, those comments land on the T-34 interest group too. We just we just clean them out immediately. Most people don't even know they were there. And if we get a hard time from somebody, wish them the best and send them on their way. We just have tried to run a very fair, very fair, but we don't have a high tolerance for people wasting each other's time. And it's been successful. So You've mentioned one other name. Are, are there any other principals involved that you'd like to give a sh- shout out to before we get too far into this? Tim Roberts was the founder. Almost immediately early on, I 
Alex Zarister. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Alex Zarister came on board. Um, we were very fortunate with Alex because Alex speaks and reads Russian, which I don't. And he's just able to source material that's just, he's the guy that comes up with the, you know, they switched that feature at this factory in November of 43. And he's he's able to to kind of get down into the de- detail that I wouldn't be able to not reading Russian. He's a huge asset. And then uh, over the years, there've just been a lot of people that have committed a lot of time and, and stayed with it. Greg Beckman is one of the uh, moderators now. Um, when we split off the modeling group, Dan Egan is a moderator over there. You know, the core, the core people, I would have to say Tim for Tim Roberts for founding it and Alex Zarister for just being a resident genius. Well, you know, we might ought to let you tell the listeners because not everybody's going to know just exactly what the T34 interest group is. And then also maybe a little bit about uh, the scale modeling group, why there, why there got to be a desire to different differentiate the two. T34 interest group was more or less, we were looking for a place where people could share research information. And the peop- a lot of the people involved over there are very serious about, they're not interested in modeling. They're interested in factory production numbers. They're interested in when did this, when did, why does this weld look the way it does? When did they change the casting techniques and all this? And, and also, you know, there were 50,000 some T34s. So they've served in every corner of the world. The Chinese have modified them. The East Germans have modified them. The Syrians modified them. The Egyptians modified them. And and uh, Tim Roberts was always one who could look at a tank and just go, oh, yeah, that's a Czech production. That's a Polish production. And the guys on the T-34 interest group are really serious about that. And, of course, there's a ton of overlap between the research and building models. And I was always interested in the research because I built models. And then uh, slowly but surely, as I started to talk to some people, we found out there there were some modelers. And I talked to uh, Tim about, you know, at some point we should spin off a uh, T-34 scale modeling group. And the first mention of that was probably three or four years ago. But finally, the number of posts that were model related, Alex Zarister said, you know, this is just getting to be a little bit too much. And it, and and we've got a large enough member base that we can do justice to both things separately. The T-34 interest group is the place where you post a, an obscure photograph of a T-34 that you've never seen before. And people from all over the world just dissect it and tell you, you know, based upon that grab handle, it came from this factory. And based upon that exhaust shroud, it came from this factory. This is a rebuild, you know, and the modeling is just taking all that information or none of it. And just trying to build T34. So, you know, by very nature, you would think the T34 interest group would create rivet counters, and it absolutely does. But we we started off with the T34 scale modeling group, and we said, look, there's going to be beginners here. There's going to be what-if modelers. There's going to be, you know, as long as it doesn't get too crazy. You know, the only thing that will really get you in trouble, you know, I mean, I, I build what-ifs too, because every once in a while, you just want to take a break from, uh, from doing the, the heavy-duty research and just pull out some plastic and use whatever skill you want to use at the time. That's how what ifs get made. But we want to make it so that anybody who, somebody who's building their first kit ever can post a T-34 on there and get something of value out of it. I'm also, in addition to a scale modeler, I'm a military collector. And I, I, I my area of focus is Soviet Red Army uniforms from 1935 to 1945, combat-related branches, armor, artillery, infantry. I've got a lot of uniforms, gear, and equipment 
a lot of that's been possible because after the Iron Curtain fell in 92, uh, there was a deluge of both availability of material and availability of information. Yeah. What's your thoughts about the T-34, like uh, USSR uh, pre-1992 and then post-1992 and how that's how this changed for both the historian and the modeler? Yeah, the Iron Curtain coming down um, helped a lot. Um, I rem- I'm sure we're about the same vintage, so I'm sure you remember if you wanted to look at uh, T-34 pictures when you were in high school, there was anything Steve Zaloga produced and very little else. I mean, it, it was affordable. It was affordable. There might have been some high dollar books out there, but nothing that I could afford. And then all of a sudden people started like prime portal shows up and people start taking their photographs that they took during various exercises and posting them. And and, uh, then people within the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union started posting. So the information now there's the relationship between the two companies countries is so much better. We got Facebook, you know, I have friends, I have friends at least through Facebook in Russia and I don't, we don't fear each other the way we used to. And so now it's okay to post, you know, the picture that grandpa took. And it's just the number of T-34 photographs available is just astronomical. And prior to that, most of the pictures you'd find of T-34s were from the German perspective, knocked out tanks, but the published material especially was uh, all from German sources. In fact, one of the old squadron signal books has what amounts to an apology in the front of it about how the, the photographs seem to portray only one side of it, but you know, that's all that's at the time that book was published. There was, that was the only photography uh, source yeah. that there was. I, I think your, your uh, typical German soldier or not, maybe not typical, but some of the German soldiers were, you know, well enough off that they owned their own camera, not to mention they had a propaganda units as well. Some of the German soldiers actually had their own cameras. It was probably a lot more rare for a, a Russian conscript to have one. We, we've actually mentioned on the show before that as a, as a reference source for, for modeling, I often talk about German eBay because there were a lot of Germans who went to war with cameras and it was an, it was a hobby before the war and it was highly encouraged and they could buy film at their, their unit canteens and have, have their film processed at the unit canteen. And particularly before 1943, there are just thousands and thousands of photographs. And, you know, on the T-34 interest group, uh, it's you can tell because they've got somebody's copy protection watermark all over them, but just really rare photographs. They're one of a kinds, really, and just showing lots of T thirty fours that nobody's ever seen before. You know, when the T thirty four became in the uh, mythical weapon book, they talk about how the T thirty four became a myth, and you can ima- you know you can imagine that if you're a U.S. soldier in France and you see a tiger, you're going to want to get a picture with that, especially if you're kind of a rear echelon guy. But some of the T-34s early war, it's, it seems to me, this is purely speculation, but it seems to me that as the Germans became more and more afraid of them, they would photograph the T-34s that were just demolished. I mean, you know, you've seen them with the engine block is thrown out, the turret, the turret's gone. It looks like engineering troops just blew it to pieces, and it was more or less a propaganda shot so they could say, oh, yeah, this is their, you know, indomitable T-34, here's one in a thousand pieces. That reminds me, I will tell you this. The one thing that'll get you in trouble in either one of those groups is if you join the group and your first post is what's better, a tiger or a T-34 that those kind of, you know, <laughs> those will get you, those will uncontested contested jettison those folks. I mean, really, it's like, we're trying to be a little serious here. So Steven, do you remember the first T-34 kit you built? Yeah. What was it? I built the Tamiya SU-85 
and I built a diorama of that like a young kid would, and it was uh, plaster of Paris snow and baking soda over it, and uh, actually entered it in a model contest. That might have been the first model contest I ever entered, and I was not successful. (laughs) (laughs) Not even at juniors. It was horrible. I was going to say, my only claim to fame, the only 35th scale tank I have ever built in my life is the Tamiya original T34, where you have to close up the sponsons and all that. Yeah, it's the only yeah. time, only one I've ever built. I've uh, shortly after that I built. There's a uh, there's a military modeler magazine where this it was called Panther Counterattack was the article, and Randy Roy built a Panther and two knocked out T34s, and I read that article so many times that I can recite it from memory even now. And I wanted to build a T3476, so I got the Tamiya kit, the only game in town. I built it. And uh, I still have that one. So definitely built that when I was about 15. So I've had that model for 42 years. Now I'm not 57. Let me do my math again. Yeah, a long time. So can you give some examples of the type of information that uh, that someone new to the to the uh, interest group might see well, on there? The the greatest thing is people people come to uh, the T34 interest group, and the first thing they want to know is how do you differentiate between the factories and I struggle with that even now. So that's a huge question. The greatest thing about the T34 interest group, the research side of it, is you say, look, I want to build a model of tank, this tank. If you go and you you just Google T34, T34 rec, T3476, T3485, SU, anything, and you Google it and flip over to images and you can find lots and lots of images. So then you can come to the T34 interest group. And, and post the picture and say, help me dissect this. And that's what we love to do on that site. And people, you know, you get the, people will chime in with some obvious stuff. People will chime in with some really off the wall stuff. But what you're really going to find out is whether or not the tank is like factory original or if it's been rebuilt. Because when they get, when they got rebuilt, they'd be rebuilt at various factories. When the Germans rebuilt one, they used whatever they had. You can see the craziest mismatches of wheels, wheel types. But the combination of parts that could be rebuilt and make a serviceable tank was crazy. So that's where it becomes really interesting. And then you shift over and take that same photograph, po- post it on the scale modelers group and say, how do I get there from from nothing? What kit should I start with? And the same phenomenon goes on. People chime in and go, hey, what you want is the dragon so-and-so kit and you sh- you can use the hull from the academy kit you know that that's what kind of makes it really fascinating for me and a lot of the other members well i've i for one like i i'm a lurker i've i've not contributed a whole lot but i've i've absorbed a lot from the site uh, there's a gentleman doing a lot of line drawings yeah that's mark retheret yeah mark was one of the guys mark was one of the guys that was involved in model armor too and like many many people you know mark gets turned off on Facebook and he'll bail for a while and then he shows up again. But Mark is um, another one of the, not quite a founder, but certainly a fixture of uh, both groups. He's uh, very knowledgeable, a real thinker, and his drawings are absolutely terrific. And he's, I've actually gotten a few off of him that he sent to me signed, which I, you know, really prized possession. And uh, Mark looks looks at things 
and sees things that would escape, you know, we're talking people that are just so detail oriented. Anyway, he just today, uh, he was working on a blog on the model armor forum years ago. We're talking nine years ago where he partially completed a 23476. And, uh, he's, he's going to re- revive that at least for a while. We'll see how long it keeps his interest, but yeah, his drawings are great. He's uh, working with another member of the group to uh, publish a book and Mark's doing all the drawings. So I'm excited about that happening. There's yeah, he's, his drawings are unbelievable. You mentioned his, his issue with Facebook or it's not an uncommon thing. People kind of get burned out unless you do like I do. And you learn to, you learn to tune Facebook to your own interest and then you don't have to deal with all the the crap on there. Right. But anyway, I guess you guys went to Facebook. Are are you happy with the the, the platform and, and as opposed to like a tr- traditional web web-based forum and I come from a, again from a military collecting background we've we've seen a lot of traffic in the forums taper off due to Facebook and I think it's probably due to the ease that Facebook pr- represents as far as posting and uh, running with stuff but on the downside I think uh, Facebook groups tend to have a information retrieval search and retrieval challenge sometimes that the forums yeah. don't have oh, I yeah. think they're a little, bit, a little bit better for that so what, what do you think about that well the T34 interest group like I said launched like seven eight years ago and uh, at the time Facebook was kind of blowing up and the forums were dying out and what attracted me to the Facebook platform is that on a forum, I basically don't have any control over who's on it. And the forums were really getting kind of overrun by trolls. So when you get to Facebook, you can, I mean, I've even got friends that annoy me so bad that I just say, look, you know, un- snooze them for 30 days. <laughs> <You know? laughs> snooze for 30 days is the greatest thing ever. If we could, I, I often say, if we could get a snooze till November 3rd, that would be even better. Cause I don't like to talk about politics when I'm trying to relax. Facebook is not ideal. It's difficult to a modeling blog is probably better suited for a forum but uh, if you can search the forums you can also just post an post a request and say hey I know this was here because the, the keywords stick in my head the trouble with Facebook probably is like we had you know I was on today and we ha- we have this problem is somebody says there, there's a new kit being released and about three weeks later somebody else posts, Hey, look, this kit's going to be released. Yeah, we we already discussed it to death about three weeks ago, and here's the first four members that have built it. You know, <laughs> so it's not perfect. Maybe we'll maybe it's you know in the next few years there'll be something that has the best features of both. But being able to kind of control a little bit of uh, <clears throat> who you run into is kind of a nice feature. Well, I think you guys do a remarkable job of keeping it running smooth and especially Mark's drawings. It just makes me curious what's going to be in this book because he's done a lot of great, great drawings and I haven't done too much on the, on the scale modeling group yet, but uh, I've followed a couple of the builds and it's, that looks like that's going to be really interesting too. I think that was a great idea. I I think splitting those two out for you guys was probably, probably wise. Oh man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because we agonized over it. And like I said, we probably discussed it for three years before we finally just took the plunge and did it. But uh, the, as far as this, the uh, T34 scale modeling group, if you look back, we launched it in July, I believe, and it, it, it has taken off. But there were there was a period of time there where I talked to Greg Beckman on through uh, Messenger, and I said, hey, Greg, would you please post something? Cause I'm starting to feel like this is a vanity page. Cause you know, for the first couple of weeks, the content was my content and I was running out. I was like, every, every time I glue a grab handle onto some tank, I, I post an update. And, uh, 
you know, in the last few days I looked and there's, you know, you got to scroll a ways down to find anything of mine. And I'm pretty happy about that. It's, it's catching on. We've got almost, we're closing in on 500 members. And I mean, that's, that's enough. That's plenty, but I think it'll continue to grow. I think it'll continue to grow, especially uh, with mini art and border model and RFM right field model doing everything they can to help us out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, Dave and I've called it the year of the T-34, which is kind of why I wanted to get you on here. Boy, the last time I heard that, the last time I heard that was 1997 when the dragon kit came out. And uh, I think that was a Steve Zaloga quote from one of his reviews of the, the very first dragon T-34-85. That, that brings up the, one of the questions. I mean, Mike and I have joked that this is the year of the T-34 because it, it seems like not a week or two goes by without a new announcement. What do you think? Do you have any ideas as to why you think all of a sudden we're getting a spate of new T-34 kits? Geez, that's a good question. I don't know why there would be like a a sudden influx of so many. I think mini art was toying with the idea for a long time. And I think they finished up the T 55 series or they've taken it most of the way that they want to go. And the next, you know, logical step for them is to uh, do everything to do with the T 34, or at least that's what I hope if they do for T 34s, what they have done for T 54s and 55s, this is going to, it's going to be revolutionary. But I think, if I was in a model company running, if I was running Zvezda, for example, and I knew that MiniArt was coming out with theirs, I'd take a wait and see approach. But I think they just all finally seem to just get tired of waiting and they've released and they just released them. And I mean, the Zvezda kits are in, in many ways the equal of Dragon. And I bought them from directly from Russia and they were like $11. So ridiculous. There's going to be quite a range. I mean, when you... When your mini art kits are $85, but they include an interior and everything. I'm just talking ballparks here. Mini art doesn't call me up to set pricing. In fact, none of these model companies have anything to do with the forum. So, um, but Zvezda is a good a smoking deal, especially if you have a deep dragon parts box from all the other dragon kits you built. RFM, I, I have not bought the kit, but I've been looking at the sprue breakdown and it looks like a real simple kit with some nice detail. And then uh, the border models T-34 with the supplemental armor, I've already got that one. It's uh, not perfect, but they never are. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of, I'm a big fan of talking about what needs to be fixed, not um, kind of bashing it with the, why didn't they, why didn't they, why didn't they? Well, one of my bullet items was the T-34 scale model situation. You touched on a little bit there. Of the current selection, what do you think is the, the best or the better of the ones out there? And then the converse of that, what's, uh, what's oh, what are the ones you, you might do, do best to avoid? I think mini art is – no, I don't own one yet, but I don't think there's any doubt. I have the SU-85 and SU-122 from mini art. They're going to be very tough to beat. If you get a bargain on the AFE club kits, they're not bad because the interior parts are good to have. In terms of real disappointments, I've got the Academy kit, and I built that as a tank retriever because I didn't like the the uh, cast texture on the turrets. They give you two turrets, and both of them, you're really going to need some work to tone that down. I've got the ICM kits, and I've got the Academy T-3476s too. The only, when I go through any kit like this, I just open them up and start looking at the parts and saying, you know, 
you, I will use that. I can modify that. I'm no way I'm using that. And the, the kit that I really ended up with the least parts left over from the original was the ICM T34s and 135th scale. And I don't know anything about 172nd. It's, I've always been a 135th scale guy for quite a while. <laughs> My approach to modeling, I, I, I sort of imagine, you know, uh, if you imagine some guys deciding they were going to go out and climb a mountain on the weekend and they get to the foot of the hill and they look up and they go, well, you know, that's going to be tricky. That's going to be tough. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't God do that? And I just imagine like modeling should almost be the same thing. This is what I've got to work with. What am I going to do about it? So yeah, the ICM kit is the weakest and the mini art's going to be the strongest, but everything in between there is, is definitely workable. Even, even the old Tamiya kits, I still have a several of them around because I use some parts off of there when I'm, for example, the vision slits on a cupola, the Tamiya parts are great yeah. for that. They're great to have around. They're separate pieces. <laughs> yeah. Nice and nice and easy to work with. You know, some of the Dragon T3485 parts are so difficult to get off the sprue and clean up, like the periscopes, that when I came up with a good set of those, I just made a mold and I cast them now. It's easier. To, it's far more simple to cast a, a good set than to uh, clean the poor the sprue gates off of the Dragon parts. I don't know if that answered your question, but basically... You can make a T34 out of any of these. It's, in fact, you know, if the, the mini art kit may be so good that I don't even enjoy building it, you know? <laughs> <If that's, laughs> you sound like me. I cut, I take a dragon hull and I cut everything off of it, fenders, and then I replace it all with styrene strip. And um, I got years ago when I was resin casting, I uh, had a guy as part of my payment, he designed me a set of T34 fenders. So, I photo wetch my own T34 fenders now, and I got they cut a, a, she, a full sheet of photo wetched fenders is 70 sets of fenders, and I got two sheets of it. So I'm not going to run out of those. It, it, this is what you can do when you just focus on one major one tank thing, type. Yeah. What would you say for a modeler getting into T34s as an enthusiast and a modeler? Um, what are the of, of the available reference material out there now? What are the the high points? The must have books, articles, or or web pages in addition to the T34 interest group? Um, I, I think you sh- if you're really getting serious about it, the mythical weapon book is a great book. People will tell you that, you know, politically the, the, the writer seemed to have an ax to grind that he wanted to convince everybody that it wasn't the great weapon that everybody thought it was fair enough. Um, there are some issues with some of the scale drawings, there's some accuracy issues, but I challenge anybody to write a book that huge and then not get to the end and say, Oh wow! I I never corrected X, Y, and Z. You know, I can't even write a paragraph without wishing I hadn't the next day. So, it's a great book, and the T thirty four interest group makes it an even better book because you can say I've got the T I've got the T thirty four mythical weapon here, and I have a question about the photograph on page X, and almost everybody involved with that group has the book. So it's a as a point of starting conversations. It can't be beat. But I think the myth of, uh, the T34 interest group is a great companion to that book. Alex Zarister would be able to tell you what books, you know, depending on your language, there's some really good Polish books primarily. There's a series of books called Frontline Illustrated that are great. Yeah, I've got Any, those. You know, yeah, I like the, I like, sounds like you like what I like, which is if you can show me a scale drawing and a picture of a, of a knocked out tank or a tank that's in battle, really beat up. I'm pretty happy. 
Did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think the T thirty four mythical weapon is just just the it's their current currently that's the Bible. Get that, and you'll be able to, you know, it'll be the good basis for some learning about T thirty fours. You can you hit upon this a little bit, but is is there anyone you know of in in the Facebook groups working with anyone in the industry, the plastic model industry at all right now? I don't think so. If they are, they haven't told me about it. Or they don't know they are because they're just on the forum gl- gleaning information from everybody. Well, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, when I was building models professionally, it's kind of that nice, it's great work if you can get it. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, if anybody had, if anybody had known that I was willing to do something for Lockheed Martin for 50 bucks, somebody would call up and say, I'll do it for 49. So, <laughs> you know. It's kind of uh, when you when you're when you're tied up with if there's anybody communicating with let's say RFM Mini Art, they're just keeping it to themselves. But uh, one of the members, Francis Pullum, Pullum, he's writing a book. He hasn't made a secret of it, and Mark's doing the drawings for that book. And I'm really looking forward to that. It should be excellent. So now to to get into a topic that's really close to me because there there are two versions of the T34 that up until well. Technically, neither one of them are still kitted currently. Right. Um, the, the first of those is it's 2020, and we're still without a mainstream T3476 model 1942 from the STZ factory. Yep. And to me, that seems like maybe I'm assuming everybody thinks like I do, but with yeah. with all the final STZ features... That seems yep. like probably the most popular 76 millimeter gun version out there, period. Yeah. I, I don't don't dispute that at all. Um, so so let me ask you something. <laughs> so let me ask you something. Do you have one? Do you own one? One oh, of the I've, cyber hobby ones? Yes, I do. Okay. If anybody out there wants to build a T3476 STZ model 1942 or just find one of those, and set it aside. And the reason why I say that is because with the proliferation of 3D printing, somebody's going to come out with an upper deck and we'll all be in business. It's just, it's not a difficult part to design. It's not a difficult part to make. Oh, apparently it was for somebody at Dragon. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, uh, here's the really strange thing about that. When Dragon re-released it as a, as a Butte Panzer, six, the kit number was 6449. And it's, you've seen it. It's got a, like a Panzer three. I'm opening yes. my, I'm opening my drawers in the background. Cause I can know I've got one. So they re-released it. I had the kit, the kit that we're talking about, the original STZ was a cyber hobby kit number 6388. And the STZ model 1941 was uh 6355. These are dragon part numbers. So, when they came out with 6449, it was in 2014, and they um, basically threw a bunch of Panzer three sprues in there and said, you know, this is a Butte Panzer. And the original media buzz was that they'd corrected it. Well, I bought one of those. I had a 6388 completely unopened, and I peeled off the wrap just to match the parts, and there's no change whatsoever. Well, that's good but to know. The- the interesting thing, yeah, they're identical. So if you if you ha- if you're looking around for a 6388 Cyber Hobby and you're finding that the prices don't look good, just keep your eyes open for a 6449. They're the same thing with some Panzer parts you can give to a friend of yours that builds those. But when they did the uh, 
6388. The lower hull, all Dragon Dragon T-34 kits use has two bump stops in the forward position. And for some reason, they decided, you know, this is cyber hobby. This is elite. We got to have a lower hull with one bump stop. Well, they shortened the lower hull and they lengthened the upper hull. And, And this is where the angles started to get crazy. That upper hull fits better on any other T-34 lower hull you can find. All the other all the other lower hulls are the same. But other than that, the turret's just a little bit too far back. And, you know, there are, there are people. There's a modeler on, uh, builds a lot of great stuff. Is He goes by Machine and Krieger. Do you know yes. that guy? He built, the, he yeah, built the, the Cyber Hobby STZ kit, 6388, and he just trimmed the back panel and made it fit and just moved on. And his model looks amazing and beautiful. And, you know, if you don't mind just shaving that couple millimeters off and moving the bolts, you can make it work, but no, that's not a lot of, uh, there's another, another couple guys that have done it by sawing the hull apart and moving it around. And it can be, it can be done. It's just a challenge. There was also the TMD offering in resin that lasted about eight seconds before it was out of production. That's uh, the all resin kit. That's yeah. It it still has a, f- a few minor issues, but it was a beautiful thing. But I, I just never got around to buying one when uh, when it was out there. TMD talked about tooling that up, and I don't think enough people expressed an interest that they did it. But, but uh, yeah, I've got one, and it's you know it's it's a resin kit, and I think if I was going to build it, I would use the hull, use the turret, and when it came to the road wheels. And the track, I just use dragon parts because they're virtually identical, and it'd be easier to deal with the plastic. Now, another favorite of mine that I think we're we're going to get because we almost have it now is the, actually the it's the D five T arm T thirty four eighty five, but but mini art for some reason started in the middle instead of doing the initial version. I'm oh, not sure D5, why they did that. D five T, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the D five T. It's not a match for the Dimitri Donskoy Brigade tanks that are so famously photographed. You need to go a, a mark earlier. I think it's a forty-three late forty-three production vehicle. Uh, I think we'll get that one. That one's on my hit list. I mentioned that one in an earlier episode, so I was excited to see see Mini Art actually at least get a turret out there with the right armament in it. Right. And hopefully, hopefully the other one will follow suit shortly. I think it will. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> I really the backlog of. I have a file on my laptop that's uh, T-34 Dream Projects, and I've got enough lined up to build the re- for the rest of my life. It's just going to be very, you know, very cool to get some more kits to dissect and uh, say, you know, what can I use this part for? What can I use that part for? And that's what the interest groups help- helps you to do. And when you were saying earlier, who, you know, if I was advising a new builder in the T-34s, I would tell the person, forget the idea of being able to do what you want to do with one kit because it's when, when the tanks were rebuilt, they became more and more and more interesting. Well, one final question for you tonight, what out there does not exist yet in the T-34 family that you would like to see kitted in plastic? I'd like to see the, uh, the tank retrievers get done. Yeah. Yeah. The East German, the East German tank retriever based upon a SU-85 hull. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there are a lot of, wild civilian adaptations of t-34 hulls did you ever see the one i posted a few times it's a rail yard tractor it's for pushing the rail cars into place in a 
forming a train. Yeah, I think I did actually. I don't, I don't think I'd like to see that in a kit. You know, somebody should have to convert to that. It wouldn't pay a company to make it, but all of the tank retrievers, um, at, you know, after a good 1942 STZ T3476, that'd be terrific. But the rest of it is, you know, there are so many interesting variants and a great number of them are impractical for a company to produce because they're one-offs, but a good, good tank retriever would be great. Well, Steve, I think we're going to wrap it up there and I appreciate you taking time to uh, work with us and, and making this happen. And uh, I encourage everyone out there to take a look at the Facebook groups you're moderating T34 interest group and the T34 scale modeling group. They're both very worthwhile for anyone with interest in T-34s. Dave, you got anything else? Nope, I do. I've got to say, I enjoyed this and uh, listen, listening to you two geek out about uh, all of the different variants and sub-variants is uh, uh, interesting as all get out. And I got to say, even though I'm an airplane guy, I have a, a, a soft spot for the T-34. It's just, it's wicked cool looking. <laughs> well thanks and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you guys um wish you good luck with this episode of scale model mojo and i thank you for taking an interest in my t34 interest group and the scale modeling group uh you're welcome maybe we'll meet at uh, amps one of these days yeah i hope so be good as long as you guys uh as long as you guys like to take an adult beverage you're all right with me oh Definitely. You're going to like us a lot. <laughs> yeah. I heard that. I heard that episode where you're drinking whiskey. So I already knew the answer to that one. Well, we're back after that little interview. And what'd you think, Dave? Well, you know, uh, first of all, uh, I felt a little bit like an appendix there or Ed McMahon while uh, Johnny Carson was on a, a, a roll with a great interview. Didn't have as being not my, my area. It's uh, I didn't have as much to contribute, but I was, it's obvious that you and he model very similarly and think about modeling very similarly. Uh, even though it's not my area, I find the T-34 endlessly fascinating just simply because of the number of variants and the number of places it was produced and the, the fact that each factory seemed to do their own little thing with it. So I enjoyed it greatly. How about you? Well, it's got me hot to dig out one of these T-34s I've kind of started in jest over the last few years. <laughs> I, I tell you, when he talked about opening a kit and saying, I'm going to use that piece, I might use that if I change it a little bit, or there's no way I'm using those parts, that that was exactly like me. I was yeah. really, really relating to him there. But uh, we appreciate him for coming on, and everybody needs to check out those Facebook pages, especially if you're into T-34s. There are a few Absolutely. other pages. Well, there's a lot of other pages out there. There's a Sturmgeschutz one, uh, several others. Uh, but, the, but the T-34 interest group and the T-34 scale modeling group by the same group of moderators are both just top notch. Really recommend those. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Mike, do you have any shout outs? I do have a couple of shout outs. Yeah. I'm going to give me one. Gonna tackle them. I'm, I'm going to tackle them both because they're, they're okay. very similar. My shout outs are Dennis Tennant out of Wisconsin and Danny St. Laurent out of uh, Quebec, Canada. And both of these guys sent some really pleasant and supportive emails, not so much about modeling topics, but uh, for instance, De Dennis downloaded a bunch of uh, plastic model mojo episodes when he went from uh, 
Wisconsin to West Western Virginia to help his sister-in-law recover from an illness and was dealing with a no internet, no TV situation. And, you know, it's nice to hear that we can help people get through their day and they, they like listening to us. That's just uh, very, uh, very encouraging. Absolutely. Uh, similar, similar from, uh, from Danny. He, he's asking about some forums and stuff, which I, which I gave him some reference. This is to some modeling forums for a beginner or a new modeler. And another guy just uh, really liking the podcast and looks forward to every other Friday night when we drop and getting some modeling fluid and sitting down on his bench and listening to Plastic Model Mojo because it's helping his mojo. That's fantastic. So, Dennis and Danny, thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, on a related note, my shout-out happens to be our listeners, particularly those who participate on our Facebook page. Um, as as I mentioned earlier in this uh, episode, um, faced a little bit of a challenge modeling, something that I'm de- that definitely could have stymied me a bit. And the uh, willingness of our uh, listeners and participants on the Facebook page to take a moment to help me out and to uh, point me in the right direction. Uh, we've got a great little modeling community here, and, and I hope everybody likes it as much as I do. I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. I get a lot of mojo from you guys. And especially in this time of COVID, when we're not seeing our modeling buddies, you know, like we used to in in-person meetings or the uh uh, the local hobby shop that's you know this is is filling a void and i appreciate all of you thank you very much all right well dave we're getting to the end again yep you know what they say mike so many kids so a little time have a good evening dave and